This is uh, <coughs> as we start with the fast of the three weeks and ending with the recitation of Lamentations. Uh, this Midrash is Psikta Rabati, which is there's a conflict as to when it was written, 6th or 7th century, depending on the scholarship. And um, it shows the structural unit uh, of a typical Midrash. It's very short, uh, but it's very complex. So I thought I would, um, I'll get a paper and we'll studies, not just religious texts, but this lends itself to an analysis. It starts off with the commentary on Lamentations 1.1, which says, Eicha yashva badad, oh how lonely does she dwell, bodeid, alone, badad, bodeid. The whole world is just amazed about her. As to how the land was laid waste, um, converted to a wilderness, with no one passing through it. And God said, because they... Um, Forsook my Torah. So the Pasuk starts, Echa Yashva Badad. That's just the statement. Lamentations 1 1, Echa Yashva Badad. And then it carries on, Ha'ir, the city of Jerusalem. But the Bala Medrash connects that with an intertext from Jeremiah 9 11 and 12. And he connects it with a question that Jeremiah poses. Alma, why was the land of Israel laid waste like a like a, a wilderness without anyone passing through? And God said, because they, Alma, al-Azva, they forsook, Azvam, et Torati. Now, the word et implies just the accusative. They forsook. The object of forsaking was my Torah. So they forsook my Torah. Alma, why was the, the land laid waste? Jeremiah is talking about the land of Israel. Um, Jeremiah, according to the Gemara, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations as well. So he's, he's writing in two separate places. Oh, how the city dwells wait, uh, alone, because no one comes. And then the, the Balamedrash takes a verse from Jeremiah, same man, same prophet. Why was the land laid waste? No one passing through it, meaning the loneliness of Jerusalem and the loneliness of Palestine, which is now laid waste as a wilderness, the loneliness of both of them. And now we're given a reason why. So... The Medrash doesn't give the the, the 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 very first verses of Lamentations 
Eicha yashav bodeid, badad, how oh is a lament. There's no reason for the lament. We're not told why Jerusalem is lying alone. But in the intertext of Jeremiah, we're told because. That's etiology. So why is she laid waste? Because she forsook, forsook the Torah. The land didn't forsake the Torah. The people forsook the Torah. Well, there's a metaphor here. We had to leave the land. The land spit us out because we were forsaking the Torah. So that's the first section of this Midrash. And now comes, so that's one, that's A, that's B, Lamentations. This is the first proof text that we're commenting on. So that's the very first text that we're going to come back to at the very end to explain it finally. And we're going to go through this Midrashic journey by one, bringing a text by the same author. And then this enigmatic mashal or parable of a king. And the mashal is split into two, the mashal and the nimshal. The mashal is the fictional narrative of the parable of the king. And the nimshal is the explication, probably by a later author. Because in the early Midrashim, the Tanaitic Midrashims, we don't have the nimshal. It leaves it up to you. It's obvious. The king, well, that's obviously the king of kings. The daughter, that's Knesset Israel. The son, that's the Knesset Israel. The wise man, well, that's the prophet. We know that. Those are the staple characters. But here, later on, in Amoraic Midrashim, probably some later editor comes in and gives us a very pious renditioning of the mashal. It has been my thesis that the function of the mashal is to hide protest and to hide radical thought so that the regular people reading would not understand. So within the mashal of the parable, uh, we have something that's going to occur. It's a drama. There are characters. It's fictional. Otherwise, it would say ma'aseh. Oh, it happened once in Palestine? No, it's a mashal. It's a parable. It's fictional. Let's see what it says. It sounds so peaceful and beautiful. A king loved his son. Well, is it? Many times it will say, King had a daughter and he loved her too much. It was inappropriate. There's something inappropriate when a king loves a child and the child has to do nothing to earn the love. And so he makes him a necklace, a chained necklace around his neck. Shel Zahav, made of gold, Vatola al hangs it on his neck. Why? Did he earn it? It doesn't say he earned it. So the, the inappropriate love, I'm reading, of course, into that. Could be just very innocent, but we'll see it's not. The inappropriate love of the king for his son is manifest by a necklace that he gives him. Lo Osa, and the king, the boy was a good for nothing, and he didn't do anything to deserve it. El the only thing he did was anger him. But was it appropriate in the first place to give him something that he didn't deserve, a toy? No. So it was a setup to fail. Whatever I do will anger you. Why? 
you're a king, I'm just a kid. I'm going to anger you. That's what happens when you have a tyrant, demands absolute faith and fidelity. And and who's the king going to be? God. And who is us? We're the children. But we make mistakes. We're going to anger him. So that's the setup. I'm giving you a gift. Maybe you don't really deserve it, but I love you so much, I'm going to give it to you. The Greek gods never had this love for human beings. They played with them. They, some married them. They felt them to be a threat. And, and they were completely disinterested in human beings, in the pantheon of the gods. So this idea of this Melech who loves, there's already a weakness in the king because he's opened up his heart to a human mortal. Why? You know he's going to fail you. That's the hidden protest here. Why are you whacking us? Why have you kicked us out of Palestine? Why is the city of Jerusalem laid waste? Oh, well, I loved you. I gave you this golden necklace and you screwed up. Elohechiso, you... Venotal ovid mimenu. So what did he do? He ripped it off him. Vaosolo kevolim unatanam baraglov shobano. And now he puts chains around his ankles. We've gone from a chain around the neck implying love to a chain around the ankle implying servitude, bondage, and prison sentence. We've gone from love of my son to angered father wreaking havoc and vengeance on the son. That's the mashal. Kach, now the pious interpreter of that mashal, doesn't read the protest, of course, because he's not a strong reader like me. He's reading it very piously. Also, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Otiot Shel Torah, Kemono Kiyot. So God made the Otiot of Torah, so the necklace of rings, each ring is an Ot of Torah. So Torah itself is broken down into little rings or letters, Al of Tataf. Oh, Al Ozvam, they forsook Et Torati. Here, the Et just means a grammatical accusative, and now we're saying the Torasi. They, they forsook the Aleph Tataf. The Aleph Tataf, the letters of the Torah, each letter representing a gift from me as the ring of a necklace. And what do those rings become? In punishing terms, they become anklet shank shackles. As I go to jail, those represent from the neck, they've come down to my ankles. It's a wonderful metaphor. The image of the necklace becoming the ankle shackles that the prisoner wears. From favorite son to despised prisoner. He takes the otiot of Torah, Kamoniakot. He takes the aleph tataf of Torah that represent this love relationship between God and the people of Israel. And now those Aleph Tataf shackles are the letters of Torah that now imprison us. Shenema ki levias hein heim l'roshecha They are glory for your head. Va'anakim legargonosecha Titein l'roshecha leviatchein atara tiferet gemanecha Lo asu So they didn't do what God wanted them to do, meaning 
the crowns of the letters to become crowns for your head. El Ozvu et Torah, they forgot the Torah for Sukkot. Shinema Ozvu et Torasi. Vayimasubo, and they were disgusted by it. Jeremiah 6. Katav otio tohem puronios now we have a very hard explication we've gone from the Moshal and we've gone now back to quoting Jeremiah and that was Jeremiah 4.9 and finally we come back to A so that's B1, A1 right so A becomes A1 B becomes B1 C is the Mashal C1 and C2. Now back to A1. Katav otio tehem puronios. What, what does that mean? Well, if the otiot, the letters, were a gift from God of Torah, they now, because we forsook to, to, uh, Torah, they have now become letters of punishment. And what are those letters of punishment? Those letters of punishment are Eicha, Yashav, Badad. But how are they letters of punishment? Now, if you look at chapter 1, if you look at, the, um, at chapter 1 of Eicha, it goes as an acrostic, Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalet. Two of the chapters of Lamentations go that way. So now we say, when I'm explaining Dova Acha Echo Yoshva Badad, I'm not actually explaining the words. How is it possible that the city of Jerusalem became a dwelling place that's so lonely? Oh, it's because they forsook Azvam. El Aleph Tas Torosi. They forsook the Aleph to test the letters of my Torah, which were a gift and now have become puronios, punishments. Each letter becomes a signpost for another punishment. Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalet. And each of those psukim in Echa represents another curse that was cast on Jerusalem. So that the word Echa Yashva Badad is a question. How is it possible that the city dwells alone? The intertext to answer that question is, the etiology is, because they forsook my Torah. That's fine. That we, that, that we, we don't need Midrash for that. That's already in the Bible. Then comes along the Mashal, to make the connection between the Aleph of Taf of Torosi is not just meaning a grammatical pointer to the accusative, but that they forsook the Aleph to Taf of the Torah, which means the gift of the rings of the necklace. The Torah was a gift from him to us. They forsook that gift. Not just they broke the law. The son didn't just break the law, but by breaking the law, he angered the father, the hechiso. Lo osa, he didn't fulfill the Torah. 
which then caused the anger. So there was a fracture both on the legal level, meaning you have to leave the land of Israel because I promise that if you don't keep the commandments, you'll be kicked out. But not only on the legal level, he, he angered him. That is, you did something more than just legally break the rules and have to leave. Why is the city dwelling alone? Because, not just because she forgot forsook the Torah, that's already in Jeremiah. I, I, did not, I don't need that to learn this medrash. Deeply buried in this medrash, which is only found in the parable, is the idea that the king felt somehow betrayed and therefore took the necklace of rings and put it around the shackles of the ankles. And not only that, each ring is an oat of the Torah, therefore the shackles around the ankle are ringed with those same letters of Torah, now each one indicting us with another curse. And how do I know that? Because Eicha Yashva Badad is an acrostic lament. Aleph, base, Gimel, Dalet, each one representing another aspect of the betrayal, the betrayal of the divine. And yet I invert this the other way around. So the Medrash originally is telling us, well, you fractured the relationship. It's not just the, little, the legalisms of the, of the law. And I'll tell you that the punishment of fracturing that relationship is much worse than just a regular servant who would be punished for angering the king. But because you were his son, Shehoya Oheves Beno, therefore the punishment is much worse because I took the very necklace, Natal Ovivimeno et Ammoniac, and I took that away. But what I did was make you Kavalim. And I made you kavalim, chains around the ankle, to remind you of the necklace that I once loved you with, now I'm punishing you with. So that the letters of the Torah, which represented my love and my gift to you, are now represented by the curse of these acrostic verses in Lamentations. But for me, reading against the grain, <clears throat> as I as I read all uh, the king parables. Uh, this was a genre of literature that also hid a protest. And that the protest in these Mishalim of Echarabba and in Psikta have to do with the punishment not fitting the crime. So how would I now say the punishment doesn't fit the crime and in what way is this Balamedrash hiding that theodicy? The punishment doesn't fit the crime, then the crime is being punished by a tyrant who inappropriately punished us too much. And why? Shehaya Ohev et Beno. What is the crime? The crime gets put back on the perpetrator, who is a tyrant, who happens to inappropriately love the child without raising him correctly to for reward and punishment and you get a necklace once you earn it like we have in the Zohar a king had a son and wanted to test him so he sent him to the marketplace and he told the uh, the greatest most beautiful uh, woman of ill repute uh, to seduce him to see whether he would withstand 
whether he had the metal uh, to withstand her wily ways uh, and then deserve the crown. Here we see none of that. There's no nisayon, there's no test. It's just he loves him. And in many other mishalim, um, we have, I counted maybe 110 mishalim in, in, in Midrash, in which the king uh, loves the daughter or the son, uh, Yosemidai, inappropriately. Unlike the Greek gods, uh, where there is no interest in man, uh, the god of the Bible took an interest in man. And in the Midrash, in the Midrashic imagination, buried very deep in these king parables, um, maybe there is something very dark to that love. And if so, uh, the punishment um, shouldn't have fit the crime. Okay, so if I anger you, just take away the necklace. Why, why do I have to take away the necklace and put you in chains? You angered me, fine. You gave me a gift, take the gift back. No, we actually put you in chains. That is something beyond. That's, that's, the, that's the work of a tyrant who has rage attacks, who loves inappropriately and gets raged, rageful inappropriately. Well, that's, not, that's nowhere written in the text. That's left to our imagination as the reader, as the reader who's reading the, um, the mashal and say, now, one second, let's look at the mashal without the pious interpretation of the nimshal. Yes, it's all our fault, and the osseous of Torah are now indicting us once they were around our neck as a chain, and now they're around uh, um, our feet because we... Uh, um, we, 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 we we basically azvu et Torah. That's a pious interpretation of the mashal. The mashal packs a much more bigger punch uh, when not explicated by a pious uh, interpreter. The, the, the mashal reflects uh, uh, basically um, the actions of the king. The son is silent. Very often there'd be a pedagogue, a teacher, who intervenes and says, well, hit me or let me take care of him or do something. Here it's just the brute force of the father and the son. The son has no voice. He has no voice at all. We don't know why he didn't fulfill the king's wishes. We don't know what his mitigating circumstances was or what he said or did in response to the accusation. And therefore, the whole focus is on the character of the king who loves his son without any conditions, unconditionally, gives him a necklace unconditionally, hangs it on his neck. And, you know, in the ancient Near East, that probably signified power. And then the son doesn't fulfill the will of the father and does what he wants to do, as sons will always do. And that angers the father and that triggers his rage so that he rips off the necklace and puts the boy in shackles. But, I mean, putting, putting kvalim around your ankles means you're, a, you're in servitude now and you're going to the dungeon. And that kind of behavior speaks to the character of the king in this uh, tragedy. It's really a Shakespearean tragedy. Now, if we project that onto the way the divine is still punishing us, this is written 500 years after the exile, as to uh, the Vala Medrash taking the Pasuk from Lamentations and the Pasuk from Jeremiah 
adding this this mashal, adding this nimshal, and putting together this craft, this beautifully symmetrical A B C one C two B one A one chiastic midrash. Um, what we see is that the punchline comes to be uh, the themes of uh, lament, an etiology for the lament which is already in the written text of the Bible, an alternative etiology, uh, and a theodicy that's based within the text of the parable. A theodicy meaning, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why does God allow evil in the world? Or why would this son be punished way beyond the crime? Or why are the Jewish people still exiled from Palestine uh, 500 years later? We, you know, it's now history. Uh, why, what, what are we doing wrong? Those questions of theodicy are buried in the middle. And then he brings us back to Jeremiah 4. And then this beautiful ending that uh, each of the letters of the Torah, of, of the alphabet, represent a different verse in Lamentations, uh, which represent the anklets and the shackles uh, around the ankles. And, um, you know, for me, uh, reading this from a postmodern, post-Holocaust uh, theological perspective, and as I read Lamentations, which for me is, uh, in my life, the most important uh, post-Holocaust book of the Bible, um, we are still lamenting. We haven't yet come to the etiological. We have no idea, and certainly not the theodicy. Any of these arguments for theodicy have fallen flat. As Elie Wiesel tells us, silence is... The mama is the only active response uh, in this generation. And so as we struggle in this post-modern, uh, nightmarish, holocaust world of genocide ongoing, as we heard in South Sudan this morning, 200,000 kids just beyond belief, and uh, all the warmongering and nuclear nightmaring that's coming back up with North Korea, um, how genocide uh, continues and we haven't learnt the lessons uh, of the last 70 years um, any kind of discussion of the divine must include uh, this kind of questioning you know, if we're going to have this I-thou relationship as Buber uh, suggests uh, with a divine um, then the questioning must remain as to what is the character of the king. And even if we're very postmodern and Freudian and look at this as a projection, uh, we still have a 2,000-year history of a very unique projection of the way we look at the divine as opposed to the Greeks um, and as to how we would project an image of this tyrant uh, um, allowing a Hitler to do what he did and allowing the genocide to continue if everything is up to the divine providence. So these questions remain relevant, and these midrashic uh, beautiful structures, as we've seen today, um, uh, hide a wonderful reading against the grain, maybe allowing me in uh, my reader reception uh, analysis, a reading against the grain that 
allows some, someone like myself to continue to breathe uh, knowing that these texts allowed for protest.